ברוך השם, you're a bad Jew. שלום. You're listening to another episode of Bad Jew. Right now there are 7 million podcasts in existence and you chose this podcast to get your insight. And what kind of insight are we looking for today? We're looking at the intersection between Judaism and business. With us today is Baruch Tumen Baruch. Welcome to the podcast. How are you today? Thank you so much, Chaz. I'm doing great. And thank you so much for having me on your podcast. It's great to have you here. It's, it really is great to have you here. On Bad Jew, you're not familiar enough with the show to know that the right of entry to getting onto the show is the Bad Jew Challenge. You got to tell your life story in four minutes. Are you ready? Oh, four minutes. We're going to do our best. I love talking, so we'll see how we do. All right. Echad, Shtaim, Shalosh. Hi, everyone out there. And hopefully some of this is novel for Chaz. So I grew up on the central coast of California. 1982. So those of you who can do math, you'll be able to uh, make that calculation yourself. And a uh, small little town raised by two Jewish parents who very much wanted to give all of their four children on the third in line um, a, a knowledge about them being Jewish. So we had lots of Jewish uh, different things happening in our house. We'll probably talk about that during inside the uh, podcast itself. Um, I then, so I grew up though of like 3,500 people, there were 10 of whom were Jewish. Uh, in my high school, because all small towns were coming into one. So definitely had a firm Jewish identity, but probably didn't have so much of Jewish knowledge. The closest Reformed temple was about a four or five minute drive closer to you over there, where originally Chaz, uh, Thousand Oaks, California. And uh, But my parents very much tried to instill Jewish values. And my father and I would sit on our deck, a deck out in, amongst the stars and talk Jewish philosophy when I was growing up. Hop, skip, jump. I then went, uh, I should note that I went to summer camp, uh, Jewish summer camp every single uh, summer since I was pretty much 10 years old, Camp Swig and Camp Newman, along with my siblings. And that really what impacted my Jewish development also. Then went to UC Berkeley, which is really just a, then had all the people that I went to camp with, we all showed up on the same Hillel chapter over there in Berkeley. And like Chaz, I became very active in Hillel. And uh, at one point in time, between my second and third year of university, I then started asking questions because of a trip that I took with a group of rabbis actually from UCLA um, that would allow me to be exposed to asking questions about Judaism. And it's the first time I ever met like an Orthodox rabbi. And that trip led me to some other questions, to some other questions that I ended up um, that summer actually making a lot of inquiries and ended up taking off three semesters from Berkeley, spent some time learning about Judaism on the East Coast, came back, finished my degree at Berkeley, and then went uh, to Israel one year at a time, pushing off grad school, and what one year actually became nine. Um, and that was kind of my way of making up for Jewish time, uh, what I felt was lost Jewish time to figure out what, what does Judaism have to say for itself. The whole entire time that I was studying, I had in mind that probably, just like I felt I was tapped on the shoulder to learn more about my Judaism, Kind of wanted to give that back. So even when I was dating my beautiful wife, uh, Judith, um, three, three years into my time of it, learning in Israel, uh, we were dating. I was saying that we we're probably going to, I would like to have the plans to go back to Israel and be a teacher of some sorts. And she was very much behind that. She was raised as an army brat, so she could be very, uh, wherever we ended up. Um, so we ended up living in Israel for six and a half years um, after we get, got married. And we had two of our children there. We have four children currently, and we ended up coming back um, and working in Chicago, first on college campus work, 
and then transitioning over to actually with business professionals coming to their offices, coming to their homes, teaching in individual and a group settings about Judaism. That would allow me then to get a um, awareness of people's lives, more about their personal lives and also in their professional lives. So eventually uh, the idea of me opening up my own coaching practice to become a business coach for business professionals. And that's what I do currently. My wife also works for an organization called Partners in Torah. She's actually been doing that for 13 years. Great for, I think, your uh, audience to just know about them because it's where people can actually sign up to be, have their own personal mentor free of charge um, of any subject that they want to learn in Judaism. So definitely different things going on inside this Tumen home, different opportunities to get people connected and more aware of their Judaism. And I think I'll end with 10 seconds to go. How do we do, Chaz? Hey, you did pretty great. And I got to say, it sounds like the Tuman household is a power couple. I think that's really, really amazing. For a second, I thought you were telling my life story just because we have those amazing parallels in our journey there. It's really, really amazing. And uh, wow, what, what a wonderful journey you've gone on. That's that's pretty incredible. Welcome yeah, to the show. Thank you very much. It really it really has been a journey. Like I know that right. you suggested you've been on you've been on your own journey as well. Absolutely. Now, now here's here's the thing. When a lot of people go to rabbinical school. I imagine not a lot of them say that they're going to become a business coach one day. <laughs> it's, uh, it probably is true that that's, that that's not the aspiration at the beginning. That's true. How did that transition come to be? Part, that's a very good question. A part of that transition actually became because of COVID. Um, a part of my, if you can imagine, you know, when you're in, uh, uh, Chaz, we haven't talked so much about your, your sales funnel. But the way in which that I would find people, business professionals, uh, to be able to study Judaism, right? So can you imagine that, like, that? what kind of cell is that? So will you, like, meet with me so we can discuss about Jewish subjects that you probably have either, you know, a positivity, but it's not like, you know, something you want to build more into or something that you didn't like something from your bar about mitzvah? Like, can we talk more about that? My main training had been in get people on the phone and try to get off the phone as quickly as possible and have them come and meet you at Starbucks so they could see your warm smile and get to hear a bit, a little bit about your life. And they'd be like, oh, wait, you grew up without so much of a Jewish background. And now you look the way you did. You, you do. <laughs> so that was really my cell. How does that answer your question? When COVID hit, now it's how do I how do I start keep meeting people? So I actually had a colleague of mine who also started with the college campus route, but then turned himself into a, uh, a coach for executives. And when I heard a webinar during COVID about the transition he had made, I kind of like, I got to know more about that. And I actually hired him to be my personal coach originally just to try to figure out how was I now going to bridge the gap. And that journey for about six months of working here with him, as I kept learning more and more about what he does professionally, kind of also allowed, and he was, he was definitely intimating and definitely encouraging that you could really wear two hats that you could continue to be teaching on your end, but you could also brand yourself with something that has a much bigger and larger brand, right? About, I think the coaching world is at something around like 7 billion, all right, per year in revenue. And you could use that brand to say, listen, I will help you to develop, right? Uh, what it is that you're trying to develop either in your personal life, definitely start off in the life coaching realm and now transition over after gaining the skills of actually helping people in business to increase their revenue and their profits. Fantastic. So I'll admit, I have a personal stake in this as well here in the sense that, you know, I am Jewish and I own a business. So I've become now a Jewish business owner. And now that 
Judaism has become a bigger part of my identity. It was an entrepreneur first, then later on, Judaism really became like revolutionized in my life. So there have been these different steps that have, you know, led to this point. And I wonder if I had experienced the Jewish revolution first before the business side, if I had been thinking in this way. But within my bad Jew WhatsApp community, we were asking a lot of different questions and kind of spitballing potential episode ideas. And my my submission was, how do you do business Jewishly? And who better than a business coach who happens to also be a rabbi? So Rabbi Tuvman, what how do you do business Jewishly? Love it. So it's obviously a broad, broad question. And uh, Chaz, uh, we got to talk a little bit beforehand as far as how to like try to break it down. So I am going to let you continue to lead, but I definitely have a few areas. And But I think that the the main, I would say the main thrust of where we could talk about something that is very, that is unique, wouldn't necessarily, it's uniquely Jewish, but I think it's definitely something to be mindful of as far as what Judaism is trying to convey and what we're trying to achieve. And I'll use it by way of an analogy. My first uh, journey trips uh, on the East Coast, somebody sent me down and asked, at that time, it was Brandon Tuman, right? And it still is Brandon Tuman. But he, he, called, he said, Brandon, what do you think is the number one character trait that people admire in other people? And I was like, I, I, have, I have no idea. Like, uh, first of all, character traits. I, I don't think I have even thought about the word character trait, like those two words. Um, but when he said it, it's something that's resonated with me. And this has probably been about 22 years since this conversation. He says, we admire most doesn't mean that we necessarily want to achieve it ourselves. It's a hard process, but that character trait is consistency. Hmm. That guy that you see, that gal that is up, you know, they're running at five 30 in the morning. If you have to be up also, and you see the running rain, snow, if you're not from California, so more rain, right. The, and you see them day in, day out, do the same thing consistently. That's something to admire. And in Judaism, one of the main, I would say the main character traits that we're trying to look for is trying to build a life of consistency that is not two-faced. It's one of which our values, the ones that we project outward, are the same ones that we're conveying inside, not saying that that happens naturally. That's that's a work. Or I believe some of the major traits that have helped me personally and what I've seen also, the success, doesn't mean they're making tons of money, but the successful people in business are the sought-after ones who are consistent in their business affairs, and people know them and saying, I, I do business with that person because of his consistency. Fantastic. So I think that consistency is absolutely key. You know, that that's what helps me determine the kind of team members I want to work with when I'm when I'm conducting my business. And I'm not even thinking about that from the Jewish perspective. I'm just thinking about that from a business perspective. That consistency is what my clients are paying me for. And if I fail to provide it, then I'm then I'm then the, then the business can't operate. It's just that simple. Correct. But where in the Torah does it talk about consistency then? Good. So that, that's that's uh, that's a very good question as well. So consistency is rooted in the fact of what we're ultimately trying to accomplish in it from the Torah lens. And I think there's many, many ways in which we could try to skin the cat as far as what if you could try to encapsulate all of Torah in uh, in one in, in one sentence which we, uh, we definitely have our sages who, uh, who have attempted such a feat before. Right. But a line that I like using and one that uh, resonates with me most is from Eliyahu Kramer, 
known as the genius of Vilna, the Vilna Gon. He says that a person was placed in this world to work on his bad character. Okay, so what is what is where 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 do you begin with that? Like where where is the where is the Torah outlining that? I mean, I have ideas. We have our we have our animalistic instincts, right? We have these uh, parts in us that instinctually say react this way. But it sounds like one more time. What's the name of this figure again? Uh, his name is the Vilna Gon, the genius the, of Vilna. Okay, the genius right. of Vilna yeah. wants us to overcome the natural instincts of being a human. So. Good. There, there are so many philosophical points that we, we, we can, uh, you know, we should touch upon, but with time. Right, right, right. But the, the, in a nutshell, so because there's nothing outside of God inside of the concept of traditional Judaism, right, is that God is also the one who gave us our bad character traits. So if those are inherently built in, not just, hey, God shows up in the scene saying, I'll help you with those, meaning I built those into you, and now I'm asking you, to actually perfect yourself by working on those. So like Chaz, who knows a little bit too much over here, right? The idea that you have your natural draws, the things that you like to do, that your biology tells you to do, the things that are in, uh, inherently convenient. And then there is the realm of what should I do? What's the right thing to do? And where Judaism is saying that the Torah is trying to outline for you and help you to outline what are the correct, what are the right things, what are the moral things to do versus our lower selves that are constantly telling you, come on, just take the easy way out. So that synthesis, that synthesis of trying to bridge that gap, that's hard. That's the difficulty. That's a challenge. And that is the consistency that we're trying to bridge. And really what Eliyahu Kramer, the Vilna Gon, I believe is what he's asking and telling us that's the job of every single Jewish person. Fascinating. Okay. So consistency is key. And without it, we kind of fall into this convenient reactionary state that leaves us to be unproductive as people. So again, just defining terms, productivity, depending on what the productivity is, but as far as productivity from a moral sense, absolutely. And when we go back to the idea of consistency in order for a person to be actually achieve those heights of, wait a minute, does that mean that I have to be consistent that like, okay, I won't get angry in front of a client, but now am I going to get home uh, angry with my spouse or with my kids? Right. But to have that consistency doesn't mean that you're going to always be good at it. You're, right. you're, you're lousy until you do it, right? Uh, you know, 80 years worth of time is that when I build that though, a person can see that I'm trying to build that consistency as opposed to what you what you were describing, Chaz, is a person just naturally just kind of bleeding into wherever I float will be my, you know, Whatever thing, whatever trend is going to really dictate how I live my life. Okay, fascinating. Okay, so is that is that a Jewish philosophy, at least in in one nutshell for 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 our for our podcast today? I think I think that that's a great note on consistency, and that certainly could open up a lot like a whole can of worms philosophically. But from the business perspective, I think that it's again like like I said at the beginning is. It's an essential part of any business. You know, I think that's what people are paying for ultimately. You, if you, you know, I, I have this terrible tendency, right, of right in my neighborhood where I, where I live in, in, in West LA, there's an El Pollo Loco right across the street. And right, right across the street from the El Pollo Loco is, is, a, is a, just a, a Mexican food truck. So here you have a local business competing against a, a big chain. And now, by the way, I eat kosher style, so neither of these two places are 
actually kosher. I separate my meat from my dairy and I am only eating, you know, the, the meat and, you know, veggies and inside, inside there and hoping that they make it correctly. I know it's not halakhically correct or anything, but when it comes to my decision, I'm always left with this dilemma and I always end up going for El Pollo Loco. And the reason why Which is again, that, that's the smaller one or the bigger one. That's the big one. El Pollo Loco is like a major chain out here in, 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 um, in, in the West coast. And the reason why is because they're consistent. You can always get a consistent quality. You know what you're going to get. But when you go to the food truck, you don't exactly know what you're going to get. You know that you're supporting a local business, but it almost feels like you're doing them a favor. And I don't want to ever leave any food truck. I, I just, you know, you, no one no one acquires business out of a favor. You don't want to do that. You're always trying to get a consistent result from the vendor you're buying from. So I can see the value in that for sure. And Chaz, I think that you're already looking from a, a viewpoint where when a person has sometimes the luxury or who's already kind of already raised inside of a system where that makes a lot of sense. Right. I think one of the things just to point out over here is that Judaism is always pushing us in the areas that are not always convenient to do what's right. Right. Um, just one example that I wrote down before we were sitting over here, just as an example, just to tie it in, is that, you know, Judaism, like you'd mentioned, it has some very, uh, very keen laws about how, how, how to eat. So if I wanted to be very critical about it and say, great, I don't want to touch the things that I shouldn't be touching, right? I want to want to get involved in it. So you know what? Convenient. I'll just right. stop eating. Right. The problem is, is that built into the system again, right? By design is that we're always going to be tested in areas that we have to step into. Business is one of these areas that also, great, you have two different, a corporation, right? All the things that we've heard different areas is that if a person could skim, they're going to make more on their bottom line. Mm. But to have that test, right, to come through maybe uh, more like what you and I do is, you know, to try to tell somebody, I'm going to capitalize on this, I'm going to get this done, and then not deliver. Many people try to do it because that what's make, that's what makes the sale. But long-term-wise, which I think that you and I have probably already seen with our businesses, that will not, at the end of the day, ride out the storm when people come to referring you and when it comes to actually people actually wanting to long-term do business with you. So it's, it definitely behooves a person to try to make this a part, part of who they are. That's amazing. I think that's just amazing. But speaking of drawing lessons from the Torah to embed your life, whether it's convenient or not convenient, whether it's you know out of the way or not, how what, what's another instance where you've been able to apply a lesson from the Torah to your business coaching? It comes up all the time. And I think it was a consistency, but I will just show share it's it's not business specific, but at the same time, as we probably already shared, it's the it's the way the person conducts business is the same way they're going to connect their personal lives with their spouses, with their kids, with their interpersonal, and interpersonal also is inside of business. So it's, I find it's one and the same. So even though it might be an example from outside of business specific, it's right there. So there's one, I, I once ran into a situation where I, I think it was, it was a security issue. Uh, the Pittsburgh synagogue shooting had just happened. Mm. And there was a, there was a synagogue that I was attending here who I think the, the week or so after where everything, like everything now became security and, you know, at the highlight of security on synagogues. There was one synagogue in, in, uh, in Chicago that they did not actually have like any, any people could like, as when the doors were open, you could just walk in. So 
I, I went to my one of my mentors and I said, oh, I, I don't know if my wife would be so happy with me going to that synagogue, knowing about their lack of security procedures. And so my rabbi said to me, he says, Baruch, you should know it's a general rule. You should probably not be places where if your wife were know you're there, she wouldn't be happy with you being there. Okay. And I use that as an analogy for when a, a client of mine was telling me about personal interactions that he was having with people that was not his significant other. Hmm. And he said, wow, that is a novel standard that I've never been, uh, 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 you know, I've never been exposed to that really will allow me that, you know what, there are certain conversations and different things that I'm having. Maybe it's even a business that is like, like stepping over a boundary, but I never know sometimes, right? Because you're in business and you're talking to the person, you're giving them compliments. But Baruch, I think you revolutionized it. I don't know if it's going to be easy, but it's actually making me think, wait a minute, if my significant other would not appreciate me having the conversation, or at least not in this manner, so that's probably a good, you know, a, a line of sand, I mean, not to, not to cross over. So you're saying for general business standards or business practices that you apply, thinking about, like, basically, in my case, right, my, my amazing girlfriend's name is Kelly, right? If I was participating in a practice, it said by the Torah, WWKD, what would Kelly do? Or, you know, what would your wife do? What, what's your wife's name, Baru? Judith. Judith. So it's for you, it's what, WWJD. Um, okay, got it. Okay. Well, which again, that is just an analogy that sounds more of like life coaching, but at the same time, obviously with everything going on that we've had with the Me Too, Me Too movement, it's definitely a question, especially with the people that have staff, like where do you create a line to make sure that you are keeping things that are professional versus somehow or another now making them personal, which we see, you know, article after article that's having as far as this, this CEO and that CEO having to, you know, renege their position because of things that interpersonally got involved in their professional life run the business and manage the business the way that your partner would be proud of. There, there you go. And, and more importantly, also that you would be proud of because it's consistent with your internal core values. Great, great, great callback. <laughs> no, I, you're again, it's you're right. And I, you know, I'm just addict. So that, yeah, you're, yeah, you're right no, it's, it's great. It's, it's really great. Okay. So what does the Torah say about managing money? Because with no money, there is no business. Otherwise, it's just an idea. Good. So what, is, what does the Torah say about that? Let's, uh, let's again, let's define terms or make it make it a more narrow because it says a lot of things about money and how to sure. manage people's money and how you, our, our perception of money. But what uh, what specifically would would be helpful to you in this in the studio audience? Jeff? Yeah, no, it's great, and I, I realize I'm I'm basically getting free coaching from you right now. I'm 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 getting the the perfect blend of Torah study to uh, business co coaching here. Specifically, what is it, how, what does it say about paying staff members? I mean, obviously you got to do it, but is there a specific process the Torah highlights when it yeah. comes to uh, taking care of your staff, when it comes to uh, the resources you put into your company, the resources you put into projects, uh, how you bill your clients, things like that? Good. So the, the staff member one, which is probably something that Chaz usually has researched and one of the novel things that I heard right away when I was venturing into learning more about Judaism is uh, when you have a, a hired worker, so um, without having any set terms, um, Judaism has, says that you have to pay him by the, day, by the time the day is up. 
which I think is a little bit novel, especially in our world where we're kind of always used to like paying later or, or sometimes you know, depending on what the pay structure is. But if nothing else is set up, it definitely talks about the humanity of it that a person just worked for you. So what is that time frame? Do do I get like, you know, when I give a person a, a, a wedding card, like that's up to a full year, right? No, that, that guy just did that and he's probably gonna go home and like might need that money to, to eat so that, that he has to pay right then. When it comes to already set terms, so that makes it a little bit easier. It makes it easier on the fact that the terms are set as far as what you're owed. So you're owed to be able to tell the, to say the person that you're going to be paid on time. If you can't pay them on time, which I feel is more of, you know, what happens it's, I don't think they're okay. If a person is out there and he doesn't want to pay and he's, you know, is a charlatan fine. So that's one, but people that want to, you know, do the right thing, but let's say that they, they're just short on payroll. So the, my understanding uh, just on one foot without researching this topic would be to be upfront because at the end of the day, you don't have money, right? To give them. So what are you going to do? But to uh, be um, letting them be apprised of the situation, which I know one of my clients also was uh, saying to me recently about as far as making payments. And I said, this is the greatest relationship because as opposed to me thinking that the check is coming, you're letting me know so then we can make, I now am on the driver's seat again of whether or not I get to continue coaching or we take a hiatus or whatever it is. But you're really giving license to the people that are working for you to then make their choices of, well, do I need to stay or do I need to now find a side gig to make sure that I can pay for my bills? So I think it's, again, this idea of the authenticity of being able to step up and say, what is the reality versus trying to put on a facade of saying, yes, keep working for me. Don't worry, the check's in the mail it is, is highly problematic. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. You you got to be truthful and and front facing with your staff when it comes to uh, their payments, because in a, in a in a major way, the people that are working under you are relying on you to impact their livelihoods. You know, they they themselves have families to feed. They themselves are, you know, they're they're not working for you for fun. They're not working for you out of a favor. Yep. You know, they they need to support their families. And Chaz, I'll just add one other thing that, again, this idea of the intersection of the of the challenge mm -hmm. is that I think that many times I can think of kid scenarios that are like this also, that there's like a prize coming, but they did something wrong. The, the idea of a person, right, re, uh, doing something that the, let's say the owner did not appreciate, that has to be a separate category of conversation, not connected to their pay. Because unless their compensation packages are based on their KPIs, you're not allowed to be like, well, listen, we're short on payroll. I, and that guy's been doing a stinky job. And I, by the way, I don't like him that much. Whoa, two separate categories. Emotionally might be very intertwined, but having to keep those delineated when a person is doing their due diligence of I am their payee, right? I have to make sure that I'm doing their payment. How to deal with the, the idea of making sure their KPIs are happening. Separate category. How do I incentivize? How do I step it up? Or do I fire them? Great. But these cannot be jointly conversations as far as making sure that payment when I've already agreed to them to pay them for the job, assuming that they've been showing up. Fascinating. Fascinating. Okay. That makes a lot of sense. And this is by the way, why I find business not, I mean, like we already know Judaism is a very spiritual entity in itself, but business itself, I always have found to be very spiritual because I think that you see people putting themselves out there in this very risky way. They're challenging themselves to rise to the occasion and then take the initiative to be able to support themselves in this miraculous way. They found a solution to a problem. So now they got to convince people that their problems are big enough for them to pay for. 
right? Or maybe, yeah, my sales coach would be screaming at me right now if you heard me say that. So actually, it's not convincing. <laughs> it's, it's more so helping them understand why they need it more, right? And then, and then following that, it's it's the act of, like you said, doing it consistently and and, and you know making yourself a resource for anyone that needs that same kind of help. You know, you're there to solve that problem. And that makes the world a better place. At least in theory, on paper, that's what business is supposed to be. Wait, so but Chaz, I'm, I'm confused. You connected that to, you feel that that's spiritual. Now I just need to, I want you to take it home for us. How do you find that that is inherently spiritual? Because you're committing yourself to solving this one particular problem for people. Ideally, businesses are built off of solving problems. Nice. And you're saying that that, that becomes the mechanism of you being able to assist other people. That's right. Amazing. That's right. I yeah. Like that. Yeah. I think that, you know, with my company, we're a marketing agency this podcast production, right? A podcast never saved anyone's life, right? Having an Instagram account never saved anyone's life. It never put food on the table unless you were an influencer, right? But when you're able to combine and create, you know, this comprehensive marketing plan, podcast production, uh, social media management, SEO and blog content, web design, graphic design, you name it. You know, we do all kinds of stuff, pay-per-click ads, you know, general ad campaigns, inbound, outbound marketing. You know, I could throw a lot of terms out there, right? Mm -hmm. What we're doing is we're helping businesses that had a tough time getting seen, get seen. We're getting, we're getting businesses to that place where they have the ability to reach new people that can eventually acquire their business to buy their products, to buy their services, which inevitably helps other businesses and their business owners put food on the table for their family. Oh, good. I'm so glad that you tied that in because I felt when you were, you're cutting yourself short of the idea of, no, that you could be actually supplying the food that's people on people's tables. And that's why one of, my, one of the mentors that I had as far as my business coaching training they said that from the very beginning for a person who is so tied down and like trying to work the hours and trying to make things work, but they don't have any productivity as far as sales. They have no productivity as far as where they can find lead generation, all these type of things that like, again, uh, my father, who was originally uh, in chiropractic, he says, you know, Brandon, I went to school to be a chiropractor. They did not teach me anything about how to run a chiropractic business. Right. So somebody like Chaz walks in, right. And I try to do the same thing for my clients come in and say, listen, you're good at what you do. Now let's actually make it productive so that you don't have to be a guy who's servicing and trying to run the business all by yourself without ever having any business training. That's so you right. could and necessarily be saving somebody's, if not saving their, their, their life, you're saving the fact that they get to put food on the table and they actually probably have time to then start actually envisioning what it is that they want to do outside of their maddening 60 to 80 hour life as a business owner. That's absolutely right. Yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head. And we're coming to a close on this interview. So I wanted to ask you, Baruch, if there's anything that you want people to take away from the Torah to help them with their businesses, what do you want them to know? Ooh, with their businesses specifically. So I might actually have to let you have me two, two stories, if you would, because one is sure. specific on a personal note with Judaism. But uh, on the business note is that I think that um, it's very important um, as a plug business-wise that we all look for mentorship. It's a very empowering thing, whether that is a, per, like you said, you have a sales trainer, whatever type of mentorship, I think it behooves a person 
that especially when it comes to their business and business practices, that person is a person who has the character trait of consistency. Because when inevitably the people we hang out with, that's where we glean and that we model after. So if a person is that already that person in their business with their personal lives, et cetera, the more consistent they have, it's going to rub off on you. And then you're going to be able to pass that on to your clients and obviously in your personal life as well. So that, that's the one advocacy I would have as far as finding a person that if you don't have already, as far as some type of mentorship in whatever business you're in, definitely find somebody that has consistency of value. Amen. The second thing, just really quickly, is that uh, because Chaz and I shared on the fact that we both had our, our both on our Jewish journeys, <clears throat> when originally, before I had to keep in my head, I got to go on birthright. Chaz, you, you also got on a birthright trip? Mm-hmm. So I think I was the second class. We were, the, the, 1999 was the first one, and I was 2000. It's my freshman year of college. And we went there. So whenever they take you to, to the coast cell, they take you to the Western Wall. And I had heard that it was the Whaling Wall. So Chaz, I think in an interview, I actually heard you had an experience like that, but maybe in spot. So Maya was at the Kotel. So I'm standing at the Kotel, knowing this is the Whaling Wall. And again, it's birthright, right? It's exciting and lack of sleep and caffeine and, you know, sleeping only in between the bus, you know, the, the seats of the bus. <clears throat> and I sat there and I, I started, I started bawling. Why? Because I saw other people that were crying and I had no idea why they were crying at this wall because I felt no connection. So I burst into tears because I felt like there's a wall. And at that moment, I had a realization. I said, God, which I had a relationship. I had talked to God in my life before. I said, God, if you're listening, I mean, we're at the coattail at, at the end of the day. This mountain, Judaism, if it's a mountain, I ask you right here to please help me step up this mountain of understanding of this larger picture, which I know very little about. And when I did that reach out call, I can track now various things that happen in the next two years of my life because I think I was open and I opened myself up to wanting to know more about the, the, the aspects of Judaism that I always kind of thought it was cultural and bagels and locks and not realized what depth it had and what it could do and really what it's done for my life and my family's life for these tw- last 22 years of my journey. So imploring everyone, if you have this opp- opportunity to find your, you know, your time to be able to say, hey, I want to know more and find the opportunities reach a phone out to, to a rabbi, shout out to Chaz. If you want to look, know more, there's plenty of opportunities to be able to figure out and to figure out what it means to not, nobody's a bad Jew, to figure out what it is in which to figure out what is this whole Judaism thing is. And can I just know more? Oh man, couldn't agree more. You're right. There absolutely is no such thing as a bad Jew. That's why the show is called that. It's called that ironically. I also wanted to point out that the biggest takeaway for me from what you were describing was the act of just being open. I think that's just so important. The moment you left yourself open, you elevated, as you said. And so to that, I say, Yasha Koach, seriously. Um, Baruch, should people want to get in contact with you, be able to ask you Jewish questions, or simply be involved more in your business, what is the best way to reach out to you? Sure. Uh, again, they can email me on anyone's, and I think the emails will be at the bottom. But uh, uh, Baruch Tuman at TorahHub.org. Happy to have Jewish questions. You want to know more about our organization? Um, and then the, the, on the business front, it's my first name only, Baruch at RaiseYourBar.Live. Amazing. Baruch, this really has been uh, a, a great interview. I really had a great time chatting with you about the intersection of business and Judaism. I know that we have only stented the concept. We've only scratched the surface. Let's continue this series at some point. Let's do a part two and a part three at some point. There's so much for me to learn from this. I'm sure 
that we'll be able to learn together on this subject. And uh, I really want to say thank you again for being on Bad Jew. And uh, Chaz, thank you very much for the opportunity. And Chaz, I have to say, you're, you're very good at this. So uh, keep it up. And I think you're really helping people to be uh, able to find more access and more opportunities to learn more about themselves in Judaism, which is amazing. Thank you. Really means the world. Really means the world. Have a great day. You too. Bye, Chaz. Shalom. Sure.